All right, so we're gonna start the game as we always do by rolling to see who's gonna be the trailblazer. So first we all get a chance to roll the dice and whoever rolls the highest is gonna start. Okay. Oh. Nice, that's a good roll. <laughs> At the Kirkpatrick Community Center in East Nashville, four kids lean forward in their seats around a table. They're looking eagerly down as they each roll dice. Now this is not Yahtzee or Monopoly. This is a tabletop RPG, a role-playing game. Yes, like Dungeons and Dragons. It's called the Heroes Guild RPG. And if you're not familiar with these kinds of games, in their simplest terms, it's make-believe with rules. My name is Josh Unruh. Uh, I am a, uh, a game master. I teach kids role-playing games. All right, Viv is our trailblazer. That means that Viv gets the wand of initiative. This, this symbolizes that it's your turn and that when uh, you shouldn't really be talking much unless you have the wand. Because it's your turn. Jumping basically into the deep. That's right, Viv. We are. From Nashville Public Radio, I'm Jacob Lewis, and you are listening to Neighbors, a show about what connects us. This is the last episode of the show for a while. I'm taking a break. Maybe a long one. We'll see. Just simmer down. But sincerely, thank you so much for listening over the years. You've made this thing possible. But since I'm stepping away for a bit, I thought I'd risk being a little nerdy and do a story on a newer passion of mine. I've been leading a Dungeons & Dragons game for a while. I know some of you are rolling your eyes, and some of you just got so excited. So the question is, are you ready to visit the undersea in the wastelands of the Umber? Today is a story about four adventurers who need to solve a problem together. But it's also about how their adventure came to be in the first place. The Heroes Guild has summoned four of their heroes to look into a suspicious matter. Harrenheim, the city where the Heroes Guild is, is suddenly running out of water. Next to the main city is a large reservoir that was built many years ago. It supplies the town's water. And it's completely full. So the four adventurers need to go down and have a look. They're given a special potion that creates an air bubble around them as they swim. The first is Pine, the Grove Keeper. She can summon lightning and manipulate plants. And a really cool thing about my character is that um, it can make a root barrier. Her root barrier can act like a shield to protect her and her friends. She's followed by Firewolf. He has a supernatural bond with his robe called a silk steel. He can command it to turn into any metal object, like a sword, or use it to grab things that are far away. And I can use them to fight or to stop things and occupy. Next, she's followed by Tanir, the Fate Weaver. She can manipulate time and has a companion wolf that she can speak to. And she's a little shape of a moon on her head, white. She's also a black wolf. Last is Hawk, the White Wizard. She can heal people and has a small fairy companion made of diamonds. She's pretty strong also. She can blind, she can blind you with her, um, her, like, really shininess. As they get near the bottom, they see some creatures. These are fishmen. They look kind of dumb. These are like, ooh, ooh. Well, they do look kind of silly, but they're good guys. So they're all swimming around, and they all seem really agitated because there's another thing swimming around in the water here. It's really big. 
And I don't have a picture of it because I've made this thing up out of my imagination. Oh, jeez. So you guys are going to need to use your imaginations to envision this creature. But it is a Tigraligator. What? Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm going to write this here so you guys can... Does that even exist? No, it doesn't. As the heroes assess the situation, Tanir's first instinct is to consult with the fish people. She swims down to them. I see. What is this? How? What have you noticed as this thing's weakness? So, so they they turn and they say, "Oh, thank goodness for the heroes guild." They're all very excited to see you, and they they say, "Help us defeat this thing! It's clogged the pipes." It has no weakness. (laughs) As the group looks around in the undersea, they notice a grate on the reservoir floor. In it are three holes, two of which are clogged with giant eggs that have stripes on them. That match the stripes on the Tigraligator. They use a skill called empathize to see that the Tigraligator is just trying to protect its babies. That's when the unthinkable happens. One of these eggs starts to shift around a little bit, and suddenly it gets sucked down the pipe. I'm going down the pipe. Me too. Tanir the Fate Weaver swims down to the grate with her black wolf moonlight. You can't even control yourself. The suction just sucks you down like a toilet. You go, you kind of go around in a circle for a second, like the whirlpool, and then you go down the pipe. This is, this is toilet water? No, it's not toilet water. <laughs> it was, it was just I'm like, like a- this is not toilet water. Yeah, it was like a toilet drain. I, I like to refer to it as a cooperative storytelling game. I think that puts the, the person that you're talking to in a, in a, a more, a, a similar mindset. And I, I like to describe it like, um, improvisational acting because I think, even I, I think probably few people have done improvisational acting, but I think we we all kind of have some idea of what that looks like. Josh Unruh is a leather worker and a barista at a popular East Nashville coffee shop called Ugly Mugs. He's definitely a tall guy, like super tall, with long and well-conditioned brown hair that has strands of silver in it. And his journey to supply kids with this kind of collaborative storytelling adventure Started at a low point for him. Yeah, I mean, so this was um, in, I guess this is 2016, and it was before Donald Trump had been elected, but it was during the campaigning, yeah. Like a lot of people, he looked around and saw division and hostility. People pitted against one another. <sighs> yeah, th- things were just feeling dark for me. Uh, and I was kind of coming to a place of uh, uh, feeling a lot of despair and then had a, a moment of of just kind of telling myself um, that I didn't want to give in to it and that if everybody in the world did something, even if they did something small, then we could make the world a better place. Josh started to think about what his contribution would be. He says he's always been a student of the writer Joseph Campbell. Campbell is most known for his work on the hero's journey. Basically, he took a look at most of the world's myths throughout history and distilled them all down to what he saw as a universal myth, the monomyth, or the hero's journey. In fact, it's the basis of the movie Star Wars. It's the common story arc of a hero being called to adventure, facing a challenging crisis, winning victory, and returning home transformed. I've read so many books and watched so many movies of the hero experience uh, and and it 
it resonates with me. Uh, it has it, it has called for me to be a hero. Um, and I, I felt that pull at my heart, basically, of being like, this is your chance to be a hero and do something good and overcome uh, overcome yourself in some way. And, and sacrifice was really the big word that I was focused on. Um, and so how, how did I want to sacrifice? How was I going to give my time or my money or my effort uh, to make the world better? I am loving this campy 90s TV show music. So in the hero's journey, first the hero is called. But once he or she is called, there's usually some kind of sage or mentor that gives them a bit of wisdom, you know, at just the right moment. Growing up, Josh's dad was a carpenter, and above his workbench was a handwritten note. It had a phrase on it from none other than Joseph Campbell, one that's helped Josh in moments of decision. Follow your bliss. And, and so... What does that mean? <laughs> well, I mean, what is it that gives you gives you joy? What, what is it that um, makes you feel... complete um yeah your bliss follow it (laughs) it certainly could be taken out of context right follow your bliss oh i'm gonna do a bunch of drugs or something right yeah um i mean campbell would probably say that that the bliss is something that's much deeper than than any of that surface level stuff and that and that for it being deeper also uh harder to achieve harder to reach but josh knew exactly where his bliss was At age 12, his life was changed forever when a relative introduced him to a little game called Dungeons & Dragons. It's important to note here, it was changed for the better. There was this whole thing in the 80s and 90s called the Satanic Panic that lumped D&D into the same category as basically murdering people. But in reality, this was a fun game that brought Josh joy. He says it taught him cooperation, let him use his creativity, and even made him more empathetic. People that play role-playing games uh, have improved math skills, improved social skills, improved reading and comprehension. I mean, I felt like it was making me smarter, <laughs> to, to put it in a simple way, right? So Josh had an idea. Why don't I teach kids how to play these games? And he thought, given the divisiveness of the country... We could also be teaching them good lessons. We could also be te- not only teaching them, like, what is... It started with what's the way to play role-playing games well, which is to be sharing and to be cooperating and not to be antagonistic. But these games, the value in them is when you realize that you're all in the experience together. Uh, That's when the good times really start to happen. So one day in his weekly D&D game, one that he's had for the past seven years, by the way, he approached everyone at the table and said, Hey guys, I'm thinking about um, starting some sort of a after school program where, where we could, I could teach kids Dungeons and Dragons. Would any of you be interested? And like almost everyone at the table raised their hand. And then I was like, Oh, okay. This could actually be a thing. If we have that many game masters, we could have a good group of kids. Right. At the bottom of the reservoir, the Tigraligator is desperately reaching through a grate after its lost baby. But below, to near the Fate Weaver and her wolf moonlight, are carried through a rushing pipe after the egg. You're flying down this thing and you get to an obstacle. There, there is a split path. And the egg goes one direction. 
and the water seems like it might pull you in either direction. So you got to try to get, stay down the, the pipe that the egg went, right? Oh, I can ask, can I ask my puppy, mm-hmm. Wolf, to pull me to one side of it? So your, so your wolf grabs onto your cloak with its mouth and it's swimming as hard as it can to keep you down the right pipe. Several other of the heroes join her in the pipe. That's when Hawk, the white wizard, takes the lead and encounters something quite unexpected. A gigantic hairball. What? Ew. It is gross, isn't it? But you get to the hairball, and stuck in the hairball is the egg that you've been chasing. I would say burn off all the, burn off all of the hairball, and then I can go down. Okay, well keep in mind that, that you only have one more action, and I th- I think grabbing the egg is gonna is gonna take you in action. So do you want to secure the egg, or do you want to burn the hairball? Burn the hairball. Okay. Okay, give me a brains roll. Brains. You're a plus two in brains. Seven, eight, nine. Mm-hmm. Nine. Okay. Good roll for now. Success with the complication. Okay, so you cast what some like some fire, some flame maybe to burn away the hairball. Uh, and and when you do some of that flame, because it's hair, it ignites really fast. It gets out of control and it burns you. So you take another damage. Uh, and ow. I need a dice to see if your bubble pops. Amazingly, Hawk's protective air bubble stays intact. Firewolf uses his silk steel to close one of the valves that was directing people the wrong way. Pine, the grove keeper, is the last to enter the pipe. But before she does, she summons a giant whale to guard it and keep the tigraligator and the fish people from harming one another. Let's all make whale songs. So you guys all hear Pine making these weird noises. And then out of the darkness looms this gigantic shape. But then when it shows up, it's just got a big round face and and little beady eyes. And it looks kind of happy. It comes up and nudges you. All right, so you've got a giant whale on the scene. The party all reaches the end of the pipe without the egg in hand. And the next obstacle that you get to is you are no longer in a pipe. You, you're, you are in this pipe and suddenly it opens up and you are free falling in a waterfall. You are, you're in the middle of a huge, a huge cavern and this waterfall. Imagine if there was like a pipe in the ceiling that just ended and then there's water coming out of it, right? You're falling out of that pipe and the room that you are in is the next, the next room in the umber, the cavern of a thousand wings. Will our heroes survive? Will their game even be made in the first place? Find out after the break. So Josh had the support of his D&D table, particularly his friend Keith, who works with him at the coffee shop. Together, they raised $1,200 in a crowdfunding campaign to buy all of the materials necessary to teach kids RPG games. But the problem was, they had no place to do it. 
Someone suggested that they should go to the Shelby Community Center in East Nashville and meet with a guy named Mr. Randy. So I went and talked to him and and pitched the idea. I brought in a couple like D&D books and, and had to do, have the explanation to them of like, well, what are these games even? And I sent them some links to like watch a couple videos to have some some ideas. Uh, and I, I, I landed the pitch and they, you know, their mentality essentially was if you're willing to bring in people and and you you know I, I told them like we have we have raised the money to buy the the stuff so we can provide all of it we just need the space and we need the kids right um and and so they were sold the big challenge was to figure out what system that we were going to run for the younger kids because i was not originally anticipating having kids as young as like eight years old. Dungeons and Dragons says it's appropriate for 12 and up. Not only does it have a rather steep learning curve, it's just complex, but it can be a little mature as well. So Josh pieced together a hodgepodge of various other gaming systems, trying to tailor it to their desires. There were other simple games for younger kids, but they focused on fighting mostly. Josh and his friend Keith wanted role-playing to be at the center of the game and they wanted the kids to be rewarded for peacemaking. So they ended up with this Frankenstein version of several games that they ran for the younger kids. It was not the most elegant solution, but it worked. The first day, we had 17 kids. I had no idea, right? I think we had six on the sign-up sheet, right? And we had 17 on the first day and it was like, oh, my gosh. And it basically every week after that, it was at least that many up up to as many as may, maybe close to 30 kids when we have a full class. But fortunately for you guys down here in the Humber, all of the young two have pretty much been obliterated centuries ago as far as you know. The parents came up to us afterward and, and, and literally told us um, – like whatever this magic is that you guys are creating, if you like bottle it up, we will buy it from you, like buy the crate. Like our kids are obsessed with what you are doing and we don't really understand what you're doing, but we but we want to buy into it. Uh, and, and Keith and I left that um, demonstration and we were like, we need to we need to make our own game. It is such a huge undertaking to build a role-playing game, to develop one, and, and to, to do it well and to do it justice. Josh and Keith formed a company called Material Components and got to work on making a tabletop RPG for kids, one that rewarded doing good over destruction. They taught cooperation and gave children all the joy that Josh felt when he was younger, without any of the stuff that would make parents, you know, a little uneasy. I feel like there was some, like, you know, demon summoning and stuff like that that we had to just be like, that's not a thing. We knew the big hurdle was that if we want kids to be playing this at home, their parents have to be running it. The rules to a game like Dungeons & Dragons come in a 300-page textbook full of charts and tables. And that's just the basic rules. If you want the Dungeon Master's Guide or the Monster Manual, that's another collective 600 pages. Josh and Keith needed something for eight-year-olds. They wanted to have just enough rules to immerse the kids in role-playing a story, yet maintain order and structure. Uh, I have to totally give Keith credit on this, so he just dove headfirst into conceptualizing a game. You know, even though it was like 
insanely rough. It was basically just a list of basic moves. Um, I was like, man, there's something here. And here's the thing. They had the perfect audience to test it on. The Heroes Guild after-school program at the Shelby Community Center. The way the Heroes Guild works is three months on, three months off. They do two major campaigns a year. It's been going on for two years now, and they've play-tested their game with these kids for half of that time, seeing what works and what doesn't. Instead of all the mini-sided dice that Dungeons & Dragons uses, they use two regular old six-sided dice. Everything a kid needs to know to play fits on two sides of a regular piece of paper. And just so you know, the basics of how it works are this. The game master, in this case Josh, sets up a scene. A turn order of kids is established. The first kid just says how they want to interact with that scene. Maybe talk to a fish person, investigate a mysterious cave. Based on the options on the sheet, they may have to roll the dice to see if they successfully do that thing. If the dice rolls too low, they fail. If it's in the middle, they succeed, but with a complication. If it's a high roll, it's a success. Now, what's different about the Heroes Guild RPG is that if you have previously helped a friend in peril, worked together to accomplish something difficult, or solved a big problem in the story, you get what's called a hero point. They can be used to do something pretty awesome without having to roll. One after another, our heroes pass straight down through an opening and find themselves falling down in a massive cavern. And as you're falling, you see these bats that are all along the ceiling and they're all watching you as you as you fall. Okay, that's crazy. Maybe they could save you. The whole thing under it is bat poop! The heroes are falling directly above a grate. Oh, straight through it. So if, if you, so if you guys fall down, you're going to hit that pipe and your character will die. Tanir the Fate Weaver has quite the assertion in this moment. Uh, yeah, before I die, do you mind if I can talk to these bats? <laughs> of course, yeah. <laughs> that's what I have in mind. Oh, critical success! That's two sixes on the dice. It's not just going to succeed, it's going to succeed amazingly. What are you saying as you're falling? I don't know. Get us before we die here? Try to help you? Yes. Okay, you you say all of that. All of the bats just kind of turn their heads. It seems they don't understand. But then the whole cave echoes with a voice from below. Save them, my minions! And you look down and atop a gigantic mountain of bat poop stands a shaman, the, the bat shaman who keeps these caves. One by one, the bats detach from the ceiling and walls and start to fly down. Did I command them to catch everyone else? They're trying, but you guys could, I think, urge them on to come to come and save you guys faster. She's made a success. Some of them are starting to fly down, but if you guys cry out more, maybe they'll come save you. Firewolf assesses the situation midair. So I think what I'll do is I will catch someone and I will also hold on to one of the bats. Firewolf grabs onto the closest bat with his silk steel. And then desperately, he reaches out to his friend Hawk. You extend out and you grab onto him and it, and it pulls your arm out of the socket. So it's dislocated your shoulder. So you're holding onto him, but you're in a lot of pain. A success with a complication. But you earn a hero point because you just saved a friend from peril. Even though we didn't have the peril marked, he was falling to his death. 
Hawk, dangling from the injured arm of Firewolf, sees the egg that's falling just out of his reach. I think I would I would try to convince the bat shaman to catch the egg. All right, why don't you uh, try to convince the bats to catch the egg? That I seems will. like a good plan. But if I don't have a hero point, I'm pretty sure this egg's gonna die. Mm, but you are good at convincing things because you have a lot of heart because you're a white wizard. Oop. Two. Oh, not one. Oh, Max. This is the worst thing that can happen. A critical failure. I I can't believe it. It's gonna fall into it's gonna fall into one of those pipe holes again. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say what it gets me. That's Lily. I just want no, I, I just want to. It's more likely to get scrambled on that vent. So, so you yell out to the bats, save the egg, and and one of the bats flies down and grabs onto it with its with its bat feet grabs onto it and then it it looks at it and it and it's like got saliva running out of its mouth like oh i'm gonna eat this egg does the shaman see this yeah then i would say to the shaman don't let that bat eat the egg the shaman is utterly convinced he looks up to the bat and says don't you dare bite that egg the bat places the egg gently on the ground and flies off Pine, the Grovekeeper, uses one of her powers and grows wings. A giant dire bat is carrying Tanir, and another one, the injured Firewolf and Hawk. The two dire bats fly down and land you on top of the giant mountain of bat poop that the, that the shaman is standing on. <laughs> Do you guys get off of your bats? I don't think so. The heroes make their way back up to the undersea with the egg. They convince the fish people to give back some of the land to the Tigraligator to use as a proper nesting ground. Do they understand and they thank you, the Heroes Guild, for coming and uh, helping them with this great problem. And they, in fact, they cook you guys a great feast. Yay! <laughs> yeah, with some, with some delicious uh, like sushi wrapped in this weird seaweed down here. They cook you a, a great meal and they throw a party and you guys dance into the night. Elias's silk steels are inspiring everyone. <laughs> if you've ever seen Return of the Jedi, you know that's exactly how the hero's journey ends. With the hero's return and a giant party. The Ewoks are optional, but being surrounded by all of your loved ones is not. So once a semester at the Heroes Guild after-school program, when the campaign is done, there's a ceremony. You see this wooden sword that I have up here? So my, I had mentioned that my dad's a carpenter. He and I made that many, many years ago. So I bring that sword in. That is the knighting sword. And I, I you know, draw it out and I raise it up to the ceiling and I ask all of the kids to, to draw their weapons and raise them to the sky. And so they all mime that same action. Uh, and I and I recite this to them and have them recite it back to me after every pause. Uh, I am the shield for the shieldless. I am the sword that fights for the greatest good. I am the torch against the darkness. I am the walls that protect the city. I am the book that shares all secrets. I am the horn that warns of danger and the hand that helps those in need. I don't know. An, an oath, uh, it put, kind of puts it all into words, what, what, your, what your mission is. And it's a moment of kind of calling the kids not just to take that oath as, as players, is blurring the line between your player and your character here, 
right? Uh, you're, you're taking this oath and hopefully taking this beyond the table and out into the world and, and being heroes in the world as well. Next summer, Josh and Keith plan to launch the Heroes Guild RPG as a game that anyone can buy. Seeing as how this is probably the last episode of the show for a while, I just wanted to say thank you. I have had such a great time making it and getting to know my neighbors, and there's some things I've learned. We really are connected. That sometimes comes off as sentimental garbage. Even I feel that way, don't worry. But I find mostly it's true. We all hurt, we all get hungry, we all have needs and questions. What connects us? That's the lifelong question I'm going to pursue. And I hope like Josh in this story, you'll answer the hero's call and find what your pursuit is, your gift that you're going to give to the world. I think you will make the world a better place. And I hope you don't do it alone. As for me, I'm on to my next adventure, a company called Vox Familia. This is a boutique documentary business to have a highly produced piece of audio made about a loved one in your life. For more info, visit voxfamilia.net. Neighbors is from Nashville Public Radio and produced by me, Jacob Lewis. Music in this episode is by Poddington Bear, and this song is by Dan Burns. The show's editors are Anita Bug and Mac Linebaugh. Thank you so much for your help, guys. I will miss you. I'd also like to take this moment to say an official farewell to the collective I've been a part of for a few years, The Herd. You can read our farewell message at theherdradio.com. That's H-E-A-R-D. Well, guys... I am Jacob Lewis, and for the last time, at least for a while, I'm reminding you to get to know your neighbors. Mm